I trust that everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, good, yeah, good, good Thanksgiving, okay. Nikita and I, uh, we spent our Thanksgiving um, with loaded baked potato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. That was our, yeah, that was our Thanksgiving. You know, we thought about, and we were invited a couple places, but we were just missing our boy a little bit. And, uh, and so we, you know, we just sat at home and kind of reminisced and just thought about, you know, missing our boy. We're going to see him on Friday. My, our son is in Kentucky. He's at school there. And we're going to leave on Friday and be back on Monday. We're going to watch him play a couple basketball games. But we were missing our boy, so we were kind of sulking and loving on one another and just being there. And, uh, but it was a beautiful time, uh, and we're excited to see him soon. So, Thomas, I know you're watching this morning. I love you. See you in a week. Um, it's 1 o'clock there, so it's not good morning to him. Uh, but, you know, we, we have a lot to be thankful for this time of year. We serve a good God. We serve a good God, and we have a lot to be thankful for. So let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are an awesome God. Lord, we pray that you would hide the one this morning who holds the message, that you alone receive honor and glory and praise, that we become nothing but a faceless generation that is remembered for our passion for Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you that you are our God. We're thankful for you today. In your name we pray, amen. So we have a lot to be thankful for, family, friends, health, the word of God, church family. I'm thankful for this church family. You know, we've only been here 26 days. It feels like 26 years. In a good way, in a good way. Like, I've been married 22 years, and that's a good, that's a good thing, okay? So the longer, the better. Speaking of things that are, were longer, but are no longer, Everybody noticed Dan's hair this morning? So, so look, if you've ever wanted to have a, a run at Dan to beat him up, now's the chance because I think his powers are gone. So take your swings at Dan this morning. Samson has lost his hair. He's the only guy I know that's that good looking without the hair or with the hair. We love you, Dan. That's enough. <laughs> now, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. One of the things that I'm most thankful for is that our Savior is the light of the world. You know, as a young youth pastor uh, in my 20s, I, I got very into filmmaking. We would do these videos with our students. We would make these small movies. And when I was working here at Summit, um, I, had a, I, had, I taught a class called Chapel Media, and we would make these really cool videos. Some of them were really funny. Some of them were meaningful. And one of those things, we used, we used these. So this, this is a tiny little light, okay? You might be surprised when, how bright that light is. And, you know, so back in the day when we used to make videos, I look at it and I go blind. Back in the day when we used to make videos, we had these big, huge lights. And now we can use these tiny little lights, light up, you know, accent things. But the thing that I really love about these little lights and the things that it kind of points out to me is, this is a tiny light. When we think about Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world. And I think of Jesus as the sun who is like the sun, that he provides light to everything around. And we are heirs with Christ, we are brothers and sisters with Christ, so I always kind of picture us as like, as these. Now we're, we're kind of small compared to Jesus, 
but we have a bright light that lives inside of us. And that bright light gives us the power to share the truth of Jesus with everybody around us. So though we are a small package, we can produce great light because of the light that lives inside of us. There's a lot of imagery around light in the Bible. Starting from the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and it said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. This first act of creation brings order and clarity to chaos and darkness. He brings order and clarity. God guided the Israelites through the desert, through the wilderness, as a pillar of fire. Exodus 13, 21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. We see it as a guiding light, light that guides us in our way. We see that the word of God is referred to as light. We all know the verse, Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I know when I hear that verse, I hear Amy Grant singing it. I don't know, I don't know about you. Thy word. Okay, yeah, that's all I sing. Um, and so, so it really is, it's this, it's this in the darkness, there's a light to our path. In the darkness of the world, God lights the way with truth so that we know which way to go. And then we are called in Matthew 5, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. I will often say that things are... One of my favorite verses, but this is my favorite verse. If I was forced to get a tattoo of a Bible scripture, this would be the one I would get. <clears throat> it says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we'll hit that passage a few times today. But here is a, a single truth I want us to understand this morning, that we were created to share the truth and be the light of Jesus Christ. That's it. We were created to reflect him. See, he is the light of the world, right? And we were made in God's image, and we worship by reflecting him or mirroring him, so we worship him by being a light to others. You know, what we did this morning is worship, but what we do every single day outside of here is worship, where it should be. You know who can't be a light to the world? You know who cannot share the truth of Jesus? Perfect people. Do you know any perfect people? No. I'll show you an example of what a perfect person does. If this is a perfect person, and this is the light of the world, do you see anything? Nothing. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting that stick in there. I was little, said it in there. I was a little worried for a second. I wasn't going to get it out. Perfect people cannot share the truth of Jesus. So I could share with you a million stories about how I'm not perfect. My wife could share with you two million stories of how I'm not perfect. <laughs> but I want to share with you one to help us get to know each other a little bit better. So I was 1990, I was in the sixth grade. Okay, you can run the math. I'm 45, 45 years old. 1990, I was in the sixth grade. And in the sixth grade, I went to a church in Southern California <clears throat> that I went to this church for about, I think, 10 years of my life. And I, I never heard the gospel. I heard a lot of stories about what it meant to be good and what it meant to be kind to others, a very moralistic view of the world. 
I remember distinctly, and this is the only sermon I can ever remember, it was a sermon on the Velveteen Rabbit. I don't know. I graduated from a confirmation class at this church in sixth grade and still didn't know that I was a sinner that needed to be saved by grace. I knew that Jesus loved me, but I didn't know anything else. But as a part of this graduation, they gave me this beautiful cedar box. Inside, it had a little clasp and open it up, and there was this beautiful, white, puffy, probably synthetic leather Bible. And I thought, this is cool. I never, I don't ever really remember pulling the Bible out of the box, but I would often open the box in my childhood and smell the cedar. See, the outside was lacquered, so you couldn't really smell, but when you opened it up, it was, mmm, smelled like cedar. It was the beginning of my woodworking journey, I think, was smelling these, this cedar box. Now, in my house, um, I was a pretty dirty kid growing up. Like, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, taking showers, and, you know, I played sports. I was just a gross kid. And so my parents were always on me, but the one thing they were really on me about was not eating in my room. They're like, your room already smells bad enough. We don't need rotten food in your room. And this had to be sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas because my family growing up, we were addicted to Hickory Farms. Anybody else? Okay. That summer sausage, that smoked Gouda. Okay. Whatever Cheddar is, I don't know. But uh, I, loved, I loved all that stuff. And so it was about that time of year because I was in my room with a handful of salami. And I'm just eating the salami, and I hear my mom coming around the corner. I could hear, I knew it was my mom's footsteps, and I panicked. And so I, I looked for a place to put the salami. I placed it on the Bible, closed the lid, and locked it. I'm not sure what happened after that, but the year is 1996. I meet a girl in college, She's a Christian, a real believer, and we date for about a month, and she sits me down at the Del Taco across the street from Golden West College in Huntington Beach, and she says, so you're not a Christian? And I was like, what do you mean? And then she spent the next half hour telling me all the reasons why. And I was like, well, I want to be a Christian. And she's like, well, here's what you got to do. I accepted Jesus in those moments. And one of the things that she told me was, you need to know the word of God. You say you have a relationship with this Jesus, but you've never read the Bible. How do you have a relationship with somebody you don't know? And I said, well, then I'm going to know him. I got a Bible at home. So I go home, expecting this beautiful smell of cedar. Oh, man, this is the Bible. I open it up, and all I can describe is what, probably what my heart was looking like. It was this deadness surrounded by the glory of God, but there was this hole in the middle of it that needed something to fill it, and it wasn't something I was going to find in this cedar box, so I shut the cedar box back up. It was gross. Six years, that salami sat in there doing its work. So I went, I went that same day to the Christian bookstore, and... I walk into the front of the Christian bookstore, and I was like, hey, so do you guys sell Bibles here? And she's like, are you dumb? 
I was like, okay, yeah. She's like, I'm like, where are they? She's like, they're over here. I'm like, oh, cool. I was like, but where are the good ones? And she looked at me like I was crazy. I had just spent almost $200 on a bowling ball the week before, okay? That's another story for another day. And, and so I said, I want the most expensive Bible you have. Like, I, I know th there has to be a value ratio to like, the, the most money is gonna get you the best word of God, right? <laughs> and so I bought this Bible, right here. NIV Study Bible. This book is from 1996. This thing has my sweat and tears, my markings. It's funny, I look back at some of the things I underline and put questions next to, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, but it's, it's just, it's worn eight months. In eight months, I read this from front to back, wanting to know everything about Scripture. And this is right in the heart of when I was in the Calvary Chapel um, movement. Gary Ansdell, Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie spoke great truth into my life while I was holding this Scripture. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I was a broken person. I was broken. I was a broken dude that needed God. And I had one question as I came to this realization. Can God use broken people? Can I know in my high school years, I, in, I engaged in every sin that a high school student would engage in. And so I wondered to myself, can God use me? We all know the answer, right? Is of course God can use broken people. That is who God uses. So this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for my brokenness, which is, which is just another way of saying I am thankful for God's restorative power. Anybody need to be restored today? He is the potter, and we are the clay. And I know that God puts us back together, and that when we are broken, through our brokenness, God will use us. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. See, God is the shaper of our lives. God works us into the people he wants us to be. But I want to talk a little bit more about brokenness for a second. There's, you know, we get broken sometimes because of our own, our own lives and what we're doing. Sometimes our own sin causes us to be broken. Sometimes it's God who's breaking us molding us and shaping us to be a better person. Sometimes we need discipline from the Lord. You know, there's, there's the story about the, you know, this is, it's a good story, and preachers love to say it. There's a little evidence that maybe these things actually happened, but, but maybe more evidence that they didn't, that, that when the sheep, a sheep would go astray and it would wander off from the, from the herd, and what would happen is that the shepherd would, would grab the sheep and he would bring it back and the shepherd would actually break the leg of the sheep and then mend it and then carry the sheep on their shoulders. And then as they carried the sheep on their shoulders until the sheep healed, then when the sheep was healed, the sheep would never leave the side of the shepherd because it knew that it was being disciplined and cared for and loved. Whether that's a true story or not, I think it can relate to what and how God deals with us sometimes. Sometimes we need to be broken to be healed. When I was a 25-year-old guy and I had a 
young one, two, three-year-old son, you know, through, that, through those ages, uh, we really liked to, to mess around with remote control cars. And so we had these little cars, and there was this one brand of car that, you know, when you have a four-year-old running a remote control car, they're gonna break some stuff, right? Full speed, holding down the throttle, right into a wall. And, and the dad sometimes does the same thing, you know, trying to make some jumps and stuff. But what would happen is you would break a piece of the car and you would, you would put a new piece in, but that new piece would be made of metal. And so you'd break a plastic piece and you'd, you'd, you'd replace it with a metal part. Break it, new piece, break it, new piece. So actually, after some time, you end up with a better thing than what you had at the beginning. Is that not the Christian life? That we start in this one place and we get broken and God restores us. We get broken and God restores us. We get broken and God restores us. That's that process that we talk about, it's called sanctification. So we are sanctified through the breaking process and the restorative power of Jesus. Praise God that it's him that does it and not us. So there are four kinds of brokenness that I want to just kind of throw out there. And I think that everybody here can relate with probably at least a couple of these. But first is physical brokenness. Illness, disability, physical limitations that make us feel less than whole. Emotional brokenness, grief, loss, depression, anxiety, other emotional struggles that weigh us down. Social brokenness. Now, we all had some of that for the last couple years. Isolation, feeling of not belonging or having fractured relationships. I don't know if I know one person that doesn't have at least one fractured relationship in their life right now. And then spiritual brokenness. Feeling disconnected from God. Questioning faith. Experiencing moral or ethical failure. You know, we're, we're not alone. The Bible tells us that we're broken. It's what God does with us that is the glorious part. But the Bible says, Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is, this is the, the famous passage in Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant. About Jesus, it's, this, it's, it's a whole chapter on speaking about the coming Messiah. And the reason he is coming is because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. So, there's an interesting thing that happens here. The enemy, okay, the enemy wants to tell us that when we are broken, we are useless. The enemy lies to us and says, unless you're perfect, you are useless to God, and God cannot use you. So <clears throat> we saw this vase, this vase pot, Hobby Lobby, $8.99. And it was 50% off. I got one from my office. And so the enemy wants to say, unless you look like this, God can't use you. But we saw, can God use you if you look like this? Because you're, it's a lie. We're not perfect. 
The enemy says you're broken. I used to be, still am, a youth pastor. I love visual illustrations of things. I feel like they connect. A lot of people think that they only connect with the youth, but I think they connect with, the, with adults. They connect with me for sure. So we need to be broken. But Satan says if we're broken, we can't be used. And so, we take and, okay? And now, we look at this and it, it looks like it's useless. What are we going to do with this? Hot glue it. You're, you're a smart lady. It's broken. So you know what we do? You know what our response is to the enemy when he says you're broken? You're right. You're right. I am broken. I am broken. But the answer is in Ephesians 2. But God is the potter who is rich in mercy. In Ephesians 2, chapter 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God and a result of works and not a result of works so that no one may boast. And this is the best part. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This echoes back to Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are his craftsmanship. He is the potter, we are the clay. He has molded us, we are made in his image to be what we are. All broken and scarred and messed up, it doesn't matter because he's the one who's doing the work through us. It's the power of his spirit. So why does he allow us to be broken? That's a question that a lot of people have when they think about the woes that they go through in life. God, why did you allow this? Why are you letting this happen in my life right now? And we get two, we get, we get two verses, one that really hits home for me. The first one is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But this verse out of Jeremiah really hits hard because it, it talks about the potter and the clay. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go to the potter's house, and there you will hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good for the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. 
I mean, this is a direct application to Israel, but I think it's an it's a, it's a indirect application to all believers. Like, as you become broken, God has not forgot you. He continues to mold you and shape you into the person he wants you to become. And I think about it like this, too. When you think about molding and shaping, you know, if you push... If you push clay into a mold, you have to put a lot of pressure on it to put it in that mold. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure in life. Sometimes there's a lot of of hard things that we're gonna go through to become who we're gonna become on the other side. Sometimes we gotta be like that remote control wall hitting that, or remote control car hitting that wall at 30 miles an hour. And And then we become something on the other side when we're healed. But God wants to do something. And you know, so he is, he is glorified by putting us back together, but he's also glorified in the new creation. See, it's God's grace that restores us. God's grace and mercy is the glue, is the hot glue that puts us back together. But he wants us to play a part in this as well. Just like in everything in scripture, our God is sovereign but God uses his people in his sovereign plans over and over again. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for healing. Because we know that God answers the prayers of his people. So we pray for these things. So as God molds us, there are things that we can do to help in our own brokenness. Some takeaways for us this morning. Complete dependence on God and trusting his sovereignty. This is one of those like easier said than done, right? Because our sin nature wants us to like depend on ourselves. We see over and over from people in scripture that they depend on themselves and it goes awry. And when they depend on God, it's fruitful. So we want to have that complete dependence. Even in moments of pain and brokenness, we trust in God's greater plan. We all know that Romans 8.28 verse, whether we know it as Romans 8.28 or not, we know the verse that says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is not out for evil for us. God is out for good. And in 2 Corinthians that we just read, uh, verses 9 and 10 though say, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a beautiful symbolism of this, like, when, when I go through hard things, and I know that I can't do it on my own, and I depend on God, I am made stronger than I could ever have been made doing it on my own. And I don't, men, we probably struggle with this more than anybody because we want to be a man and get it done ourselves. And God is like, lean on me. Like you need me. You can't do this on your own. But sometimes we fight that. And we want to do it on our own so we have something to boast in. There's no boasting except boasting in Christ. So we cannot will ourselves back together. That goes for all of us. We have to depend on God, our healer. And the second thing he wants is repentance and transformation. You know, a lot of people want to make this 
repentance thing more difficult than it is. Really what God wants us to do is say, there's my sin, turn around and get out of Dodge. That's my sin, I'm gonna run away from it. Everybody wants to like, uh, you know, put on the hair shirt, okay? You know, the, so it's, you're just being itchy and angry and frustrated and punishing yourself for your sin. The punishment for sin is on the cross. You don't get punished for sin anymore. It's over. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him on the cross. It doesn't happen anymore. And so God is asking one thing from us. And it's echoed in Joel chapter 2. This is becoming one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is my second tattoo. Joel chapter 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. This is the best part right here. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, and he, relent, he relents from sending calamity. See, what would happen is people would, they would wear these clothes and they would, they would, as a sign of what they were going to, they would rip their clothes and be like, oh God, we're here before you. Like it's a, it's a symbolism of saying like, we're nothing without you. And God's like, stop it with the clothes. Rip your heart open and show it to me. He's saying it the same thing about like, you know, the circumcision of the heart. It's talked about in the Old and New Testament. He doesn't care about the circumcision of the flesh. He cares about the circumcision of the heart. Your heart has to be poured out before God. He's saying, show me your heart and I will do a work in your heart. The outward things mean nothing to me. Your heart means everything. And so God is asking, let me mold your heart for I am the potter and you are the clay. So let's do that. Let's rend our hearts before the Lord. You know, there's multiple examples in scripture of people who were broken. But as they rend their hearts before God, they are healed and they end up being the great leaders of scripture. Jacob was known for his deceit, yet he was chosen to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was broken for being deceitful. Moses, a lot like the, the pot here, he had a speech impediment and he believed the lies of the enemy that his speech impediment should keep him from doing the will of God and the work of God. He was broken for believing the lies of Satan. David committed adultery and murder yet was called a man after God's own heart. He was broken for seeking to do things his own way. Even when he went to get the ark and bring the ark back to Jerusalem, he put it on a cart like the Philistines did, right? He didn't take the acacia wood poles. Over and over, David was broken for seeking to do it his own way. Peter denied Jesus three times, but later became a foundational leader of the church. He was broken for, for not trusting Jesus. And then Paul, before his salvation, is broken for unbelief. So we get broken in two different ways sometimes. There's this, there's this brokenness that we have before we know Jesus. It says that we're dead in our sins. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I don't want you to take those words as like harsh words or insulting words. We have all, who know Jesus as Savior, have been in a place where we are dead in our sins. We're unable to 
truly worship him because our sin is controlling our life. We have to repent from those sins. We have to turn from those sins and ask God's forgiveness. And then on the other side of that, we are broken in our sin when we don't trust God and we fall back to our own ways. We fall back to trying to solve things our own way. So there's brokenness on both sides. We see Paul's brokenness before he met Jesus. We see Peter's after he knew Jesus closer than any of us will ever know Jesus. And so we see this brokenness. The woman at the well maybe really captures the whole thing in about one chapter. She's broken. She's been married multiple times. The man she's with now is not her husband. She's out at the well in the middle of the day because nobody wants to see her. Nobody wants to be around her. They will ridicule her and, and throw hate at her and maybe throw stones at her. So she's broken. She encounters God and she becomes the light of the world. That's what happens. We're broken, we encounter God, and we become a light to the world. And we're only able to do it because we were broken. If you were never broken, you never encountered Jesus. Because perfect people don't need a savior. And no one's perfect. So let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, we have these pieces, okay? And the enemy tells us, you're worthless. Like, you've lied too many times. You've been deceitful in certain ways. You're useless to God. He's never going to use you ever, but God says something different. God says, I'm the potter and you are the clay and I want my light to shine through you. So God gives us the light, okay, and he heals us, okay, And the light shines through the brokenness. Nothing, nothing that we do on our own. God does the restoration. We do the repentance. And the light shines to everybody around us. That's how people know Jesus. That's how the woman at the well was a cracked vessel in Samaria sharing Jesus. And the people came and met Jesus. So let's be a cracked vessel for Jesus, let us let the light of God shine through us because he's ready and he's calling you to do it. He's calling you to refuse to believe the lies of the enemy and to follow him with a reckless passion. The first part of Matthew 5 says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people... Uh, People light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the light of the world and that you have given us this light to carry. Lord, we are torch 
bearers of Jesus. Lord, may we continue to carry this torch. Lord, may it be bright and shining to the world around us. Lord, we know that we are broken and we admit that we are broken. Even as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, we realize we take the Lord's Supper because of our brokenness. That it is your body and your blood that was shed on the cross. And it's that that saves us. And we need saving because of our brokenness. Lord, we thank you this morning for your restorative power that you have brought us from darkness into light, from death into life. Lord, and if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that today is the day to put the light into the broken vessel. We just pray if there's anybody here that that doesn't know Jesus this morning as Savior, that they would make today this day, that they would pray for forgiveness of sins and ask you to come into their life and be the Lord of their life. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. In your name, amen.